All right, amen. Well, we're there in uh, the book of Matthew, Matthew uh, chapter number uh, 20. And uh, of course, we are going through this uh, series uh, entitled The Seven Habits of Highly Effective uh, Christians. And we've been looking at these uh, principles on how to be an effective Christian. And we've been talking about what it means to be effective. Effective means to uh, be adequate to accomplish a purpose, producing the intended or expected result. And we've been looking at these truths, these seven habits, that if we incorporate them in our lives will help us, will allow us uh, to be effective uh, Christians. And we've talked about being proactive, uh, which is something that you should definitely be trying to do if you're uh, on lockdown or quarantined or whatever it might be, try to be as proactive as you can and productive uh, during that time. And then we talked about beginning with the end in mind this morning. I preached on the subject of putting first things first. And tonight we are dealing with habit number four. And habit number four is this, think win-win. Think win-win. And I want to just uh, begin by reading a little excerpt uh, from the book that we've kind of been basing these uh, ideas from just to define for you what it means to think win-win. So just kind of to give you this definition. Win-win is a frame of mind and heart that constantly seeks mutual benefit in all human interactions. Win-win means that agreements or solutions are mutually beneficial, mutually satisfying. With a win-win solution, all parties feel good about the decision and feel committed to the action plan. Win-win sees... Uh, life as a cooperative, not a competitive arena. Most people tend to think in terms of dichotomy, strong or weak, hardball or softball, win or lose. But the kind of thinking, but that kind of thinking is fundamentally flawed. It's based on power and position rather than on principle. Win-win is based on the paradigm that there's plenty for everybody, that one person's success is not achieved at the expense or exclusion of the success of others. Win-win is a belief in the third alternative. It's not your way or my way. It's a better way, a higher way. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of a definition there of what we mean by win-win. And when it comes down to win-win is basically this idea that says that in life, in order for me to win, you don't have to lose. It's not this idea where you must lose in order for me to win or I must lose in order for you to win, but to live your life uh, with this concept that in all relationships, whether it's a marriage relationship, whether it's uh, rearing children, whether it's in your career and in your job, and in all relationships, we should attempt to think in the terms of win-win, that our interactions with others allow us to have relations where everybody's winning, where everybody's succeeding, where everybody's benefiting from these relationships. Now, I want to give you two thoughts uh, tonight. And like I said, tonight I might preach just a little shorter because I want to have some time to talk at the end about uh, some things coming up uh, for our church family. But I want to give you uh, a couple of thoughts in regards to uh, how to think win-win or just some ideas that you have to have in your mind in order to be able to think win-win in your life. Because we have not been uh, taught in our society to think this way. In fact, in our society, we think win-lose, we think lose-win, we think sometimes lose-lose, but it's rarely do we think win-win. So I want to give you some thoughts in regards to how to develop a win-win mentality. Number one, and I'd like you to write these statements down. Number one, in order to think win-win, you must develop an abundance mentality. 
In order to win, uh, to think win-win, you must develop an abundance mentality. And what we mean by that, and what I mean by that is as opposed to a scarcity mentality. Now, we're there in Matthew chapter number 20, and I want you to look down at this very famous parable. This is one of my favorite parables in the Bible. I think it's really interesting, and we could spend an entire sermon just preaching through the truths in this parable, and I might highlight them, a few of them, as we go. But I want you to notice here in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 1, the Bible says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. So here Jesus is giving us this parable of this householder. This is a, a business owner. This is a man who's running a household. And he went out early in the morning. And if, if you haven't done this, or if, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, I'd encourage you, uh, right next to the word morning there, you can maybe jot down uh, this, you can jot, jot down 6 a.m. And in the Bible, whenever you see morning or morn, it's often referring to that 6 a.m. hour. That's when the day would begin. Uh, so he went out early in the morning uh, to hire laborers into his vineyard. So when we look at that morning there for us, that would be 6 a.m. based on our uh, uh, schedule, our clock. Notice verse 2. And when he had agreed, and again, I'm not preaching about this parable tonight, but I do want you to notice that he had made an agreement with the laborers for a penny. So he went out and he finds these workers and they agreed. They made a deal. They made an agreement um, and, and he made a, an agreement with the laborers for a penny a day. And a penny was what someone would get paid if they uh, labored for a one day, uh, uh, the wages for one day. So one day's wages was a penny a day. He goes out and he agreed with the laborers for a penny a day and he sent them into the vineyard. Notice verse 3. And he went out about the third hour. So when we see here the third hour, if you don't mind writing your Bible, you can jot down 9 a.m. So this is now three hours later. So he goes out at 6 a.m. and he finds these laborers. He says, hey, I want to hire you for an entire day, for a 12-hour day. It's worth the work. And they agreed for a penny a day. Then he goes out three hours later. The Bible tells us the third hour of the day and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, go ye also into the vineyard. Notice what he says in verse four, and whatsoever is right. So notice with these, he doesn't make an agreement. There's no deal made. He just says, you go work for me and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. Notice verse five. Again, he went about the sixth and the ninth hour. And right there next to the sixth, you can write 12 p.m. or noon. And the ninth hour, you can write 3 p.m. So you notice he's going out every three hours. He goes out at 6 a.m., finds labors. He goes out at 9 a.m., finds labors. He goes out at noon, finds labors. He goes out at 3 p.m., finds labors. Notice verse 5. And he went out about the sixth and ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the 11th hour, and right here next to the 11th hour, you can write 5 p.m. Now keep in mind, this is a 12-hour workday. Starts at 6 a.m., ends at 6 p.m. Here he now goes out at the 11th hour, at 5 p.m. There's one hour left in the workday, and he went about the 11th hour, and he went out and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So again, no agreement. He says, Hey, you go work for me for an hour, and I'll pay you what's right. 
I'll give you what's right if you go work for an hour. Notice verse number 8. So when even was come. And even there, if you like, you can write 6 p.m. And again, this is we're going from morning, 6 a.m., to even or evening, 6 p.m. We've had a 12-hour workday. He went out and hired some workers who worked all 12 hours. Then three hours later, he found other workers. Three hours later, he found other workers. Three hours later, he found other workers. 11 hours later, he found the last batch of workers. And then at even, at the end of the day, the Bible says this in verse 8, So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their higher, notice, beginning from the last unto the first. So he says, I want you to start with the guys that were hired last, and I want you to pay them, you know, going from the last to the first. Notice verse 9. And when they came that were hired about the 11th hour, now remember, the ones who were hired at the 11th hour, they're not, they don't know what they're going to get paid, right? Because he he goes and finds them at 5 p.m. and says, hey, you've been standing idle all day. Why don't you go work at my labor? Why don't you go at least go work for an hour and I'll pay you whatever is right. I'll pay you whatever I think you deserve. And they said, sure, we've been sitting here doing nothing. So they go out and work for one hour. And when they uh, went to get paid, notice verse uh, number nine. And when they came that were hired about the 11th hour, they received every man a penny. They've got a full day's wages for one hour's worth of work. So what someone would normally get paid for laboring for 12 hours, they got paid all of that for just laboring one hour. Notice verse 10. But when the first came, notice what the Bible says, they suppose. And this is often where we find ourselves getting ourselves into trouble when we begin to make assumptions, when we assume that, well, something's going to happen to us because it happened to someone else. We're going to get something because they got something. When we start making assumptions about what we think should happen, we end up getting ourselves into trouble. Notice verse 10. And when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. They get there and they get paid one penny, which, by the way, was what they should have got paid for what was a reasonable amount for working 12 hours. Notice verse number 11. And when they had received it, they murmured. What does it mean to murmur? It means they complained. It means they, they, they grunted in a low private tone. They were upset. They murmured against the good man of the house and they were upset. Now, why were they upset? They were upset because of the fact that these who had worked one hour got paid the same amount that they got paid for working 12 hours. Now, when you look at that from that perspective or from that paradigm, you might say, well, yeah, I mean, that doesn't really seem fair. Well, yeah, that doesn't really seem right. Except for the fact that when you consider the fact that this is what they agreed upon, This is what they had already made a deal. At 6 a.m., they said, hey, uh, the the labor said, the householder said, hey, come work in my vineyard for 12 hours. And they, they, the question they asked, well, how much are you paying? He said, well, I'll pay you a penny a day. And they said, okay, that's worth it. We'll go work for a penny a day. They had already made a deal. And notice the householder, he's not going back on the deal. He's not trying to uh, take money away from them or say, well, I know we agreed on a penny a day, but, you know, actually, maybe I only want to give you half a penny. He's paying what they had already agreed upon. Notice verse 12 saying, now they're upset. And here's why they're upset. Verse 12 saying, these last have wrought but one hour. 
They're pointing at the other group and saying, they only worked one hour and now has made them equal unto us which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. They said, this isn't fair. This isn't right. We worked all day. We worked through noon. We worked through the uh, heat and the burden of the day. These only worked one hour and you paid them the same as you paid us. You have made them equal unto us. Now, obviously, there's a lot of great uh, uh, truths here and I'm not preaching through this parable tonight. And, uh, but let me just point a couple things out. Number one, there's a great truth here that you can get in the fight. You can get in on the work of God even later in life. You know, God, is, uh, God doesn't sit there and say, well, if you haven't been serving me since you were just a, a, a youth, you know, it's not worth it. Hey, you can come in at the 11th hour of your life and serve God that last hour, and God says, I'll reward you, and I'll be happy with you, and I'll give you whatsoever is right. So there's a truth here that it's never too late to serve God. There's also a truth here that we should be careful about making deals with God. That when we serve God, we should not come to God with this attitude that says, well, God, I'll serve you if you do X, Y, and Z. I'll serve you, you know, sure, I'll serve you with my youth, and sure, I'll serve you with my life, but you better pay me a penny a day. Because notice, these people, they got upset, not because he went back on his deal. He didn't go back on his deal. They got upset because he blessed other people more in their thoughts, and that they should have got more as a result. Notice again, verse 12, saying, these Last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the uh, burden and heat of the day. Notice verse 13. But he answered and said unto them, and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. He says, I'm not, I'm not ripping you off, friend. I'm not doing anything wrong to you, friend. He says, Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? He says, when I went to hire you, I said, hey, you want to come work with me for 12 hours? And you asked, well, how much are you paying? And I said, well, I'll pay you a penny a day. And, and, they, and you agreed to that amount. These other workers, when I went to hire them, they didn't say, well, how much are you paying? They just allowed me to decide how much. I told them, hey, I'll pay you whatever is right. They just went to work and they let me decide how much to pay them. He said, I'm not doing you any wrong. Did not, not thou agree for a penny? Notice verse 14. He says, take that design and go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil? Because I am good. So the last shall be first and the first last for many be called but few chosen. And here's what I want you to understand. Of course, there's lots of principles and truths that we can pull out from this parable. But when it comes to this idea of the abundance mentality, I want you to notice three truths that we can learn from this parable in regards to the abundance mentality. Because if you're going to live a life that thinks win-win, if you're going to live with this idea in your life that in all of my relationships, in all of my friendships, whether it's, it's with workers or with church members or with family, I want, to, uh, I want us to win in both, uh, on both sides. I want to live the win-win life. I want to live with a win-win philosophy. In order for you to do that, you're going to have to develop an abundance mentality, not a scarcity mentality. Let me give you three kind of thoughts that we can learn from this parable in regards to the abundance mentality. Number one, the abundance mentality realizes that God isn't doing you wrong when he blesses others. Notice verse number 13. Notice what he says. 
He says, but he answered, but he answered one of them and said, friend, notice these words. He says, I do thee no wrong. He said, I'm not hurting you because I blessed them. I'm not hurting you because I gave them more. I'm not hurting you. You and I agreed for a penny a day. I paid you a penny a day. Now, I decided to give them more, but that's not hurting you. He says, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? See, the abundance mentality realizes that God isn't doing you wrong when he blesses others. God isn't doing you wrong when your co-worker gets the promotion. God isn't doing you wrong when your co-worker gets the raise. God isn't doing you wrong when someone else at church buys an, uh, a nice house uh, in the neighborhood you'd like to live in. God isn't doing you wrong when somebody else at church uh, comes to church, maybe in a ve- new vehicle, and God bless them with a new vehicle, and, and you've been wanting a new vehicle and needing a new vehicle. Hey, God didn't do you wrong because he blessed them. He says, I do thee no wrong, this not thou agree with me for a penny. But I want you to notice a second thing that we can learn about the abundance mentality. Not only does the abundance mentality realize that God isn't doing us wrong when he blesses others, but the abundance mentality realizes that God can bless who he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and it's not our place to judge. Notice verse 15. He says, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? He says, aren't I allowed to pay? If I want to pay you, you know, and and in our mentality, we might think, you know, you hire a laborer to come work for you in your field for 12 hours. You know, you might pay them 100 bucks for that day or $120 for that day, maybe $150 for that day. And he says, if I want to hire someone to work one hour, and pay them $120 for that. He said, it can't, isn't, aren't I free to do what I want with mine own? He said, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? See, the abundance mentality realizes that God can bless who he wants, that God can bless when he wants, that God can bless how he wants, and it's not our place to judge what God does with his own. Aren't you notice the third thing? The abundance mentality realizes that we should not desire hurt for others who God is blessing. Notice what he says there at the end of verse 15. He says, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? He says, is thine eye evil because I am good? And in the Bible, the word evil means to hurt. And oftentimes when we think of the word evil, we think of sin. And it's definitely applied that way in different places of scripture, but the word evil simply means to hurt. Now, all sin is evil in the sense that all sin is hurtful, but not all evil is sin. Sometimes God does evil. Sometimes God hurts people, uh, and he does that in his, uh, and that's his will, and it's his right to do as he wills. But you know what we must realize, and what the abundance mentality realizes, is that we should not desire the hurt for others that God is blessing, that we should not be upset because God is blessing other people, and that God is doing good uh, for others. Let me read to you just a little excerpt here from the book in regards to the abundance mentality. You're there in, in, in Matthew chapter 20. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5, and then also go to the book of Romans, if you would find your place in Romans, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Go, go to Matthew 5 and Romans, and I'll read to you from uh, the excerpt here. It says this, abundance mentality. 
The third character trait essential to win-win is the abundance mentality. The paradigm that there is plenty out there for everybody. Most people are deeply scripted in what I call the scarcity mentality. They see life as having only so much, as though there were only one pie out there, and if someone were to get a big piece of that pie, it would mean less for everybody else. The scarcity mentality is the zero-sum paradigm of life. People with a scarcity mentality have a very difficult time sharing recognition and credit, power or profit, even with those who help in the production. They also have a very hard time being genuinely happy for the successes of other people, even and sometimes especially members of their own family or close friends and associates. It's almost as if something is being taken from them when someone else receives special recognition or windfalls or gain or has remarkable success or achievement. Although they might uh, verbally express happiness for others, uh, for other success, inwardly they are eating their hearts out. Their sense of worth comes from being compared, and someone else's success, to some degree, means their failure. Only so many people can be an A student. Only one person can be number one. To win simply means to beat. Often people with scarcity mentality harbor secret hopes that others might suffer misfortune, not terrible misfortunes, but acceptable misfortunes that would keep them in their place. They're always comparing. They're always competing. And this is the scarcity mentality. The scarcity mentality is afraid when other people are blessed. The scarcity mentality is upset when other people are blessed by God. So when it comes to win-win, we must, first of all, develop an abundance mentality. We must get this idea that, look, just because other people are succeeding does not mean that that requires failure on my part, that God is abundant in his blessings and that God can bless others and he can bless me. And if God chooses to bless others and not to bless me, that's fine too. That the abundance mentality realizes that what God is doing, uh, that realizes that it's uh, uh, God is not doing us wrong when He blesses others, and it realizes that God can bless however He wants and whenever He wants. Well, let me give you a second thought, and it is this: to think win-win, not only must you develop an abundance mentality, but to think win-win, you must genuinely desire the best for others. In the Bible, we find this concept that we as believers are to genuinely desire the best for others. And of course, we're not talking about reprobate enemies of the Lord, obviously. We're not talking about people who hate the Lord, but we are talking about everyone else. When it comes to anyone else, we ought to genuinely want the best for other people. Matthew chapter 5, if you would, look, about, look down at verse number 38. I'm just going to show you some examples of this throughout the Bible. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38. The Bible uh, says this, Matthew 5, 38, Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. And, and again, I'm not preaching on this uh, tonight, but let me just say this. This is a quote from the Old Testament, and Jesus is not speaking against the concept of an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but what Jesus is teaching here is that this is something that government was supposed to do. This was You, you read about this in the book of Exodus when God gives laws to the nation of Israel, and in order for the nation of Israel to defend 
uh, and to give justice out, he thought that if someone, you know, if, if I went and hurt someone and I injured them to the point where they lost their eye, then the government was supposed to take my eye. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And by the way, if government did that, you would have a lot less people, you know, hurting others. Uh, if, if, if what they did to others was going to be done to them. What Jesus is teaching here, though, is that we should not take the law into our own hands. That it's not my place to avenge myself, that it is the government's job to do that. He says, you have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. He's saying, what I'm telling you is that it's not your place, because remember the word evil means to hurt. It's not your place to go and avenge yourself or to hurt someone else because they hurt you. He says, but, what, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. He says, look, in your life, you have to desire the best for others. And even if somebody hurts you, if they smite you on the cheek, don't go and smite them back, but turn to him the other uh, also, notice verse 40. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have also thy cloak also. He says, look, if somebody's suing you and they want your coat, he says, give them your cloak also. A cloak would be like a, a, a cape with a hood that would serve as an overcoat. You know, we live in California, so we don't do this a lot. But even here in the wintertime, you might see somebody wearing a coat like the coat I'm wearing right now. And then they might put on an overcoat uh, over that. Well, he says, look, if somebody's suing you and they want your coat, he says, go ahead and give them your cloak also while you're at it. Notice, uh, go to Matthew chapter seven, look at verse number 12. Matthew chapter seven and verse Number 12, notice what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, the Bible says this, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And this, of course, was known as the golden rule, that we should treat people the way we'd like to be treated. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Go to the book of Romans, if you would. Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter 12 and look at verse 10, the Bible says this, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, notice these words, preferring one another. See, the Bible teaches that we should prefer others, that we should genuinely desire the best for others, that we should want to do what's right for other people, that we should treat people the way that we would like to be treated, that we should be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Go to the book of Philippians, if you would. Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. And look down at verse number 3. Philippians chapter number 2 and verse 3. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, the Bible says this, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. And look, this, this requires humility. He says, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. What is the Bible teaching here? It's saying that you and I need to have a desire to see the best in others, that we should genuinely look. And you cannot have a win-win mentality if you want to see the downfall of other people, if you want to see other people be brought down, if you want to see other people be hurt. If you're going to have a, an abundance mentality, you must genuinely desire the best for others. Look, you've got to develop in your mind this idea that I want to see other people succeed. And the truth is this, that this is not something that comes to us naturally. 
In fact, there's, the, our culture is set up oftentimes in order to create in us this desire to see other people lose so that we can win. And sometimes this is put into us um, by the way we were raised. Let me read to you um, an excerpt here from the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He says this, most people have been deeply scripted in the win-lose mentality since birth. First and most important of the powerful forces at work is the family. When one child is compared with another, when patience, understanding, or love is given or withdrawn on the basis of such comparisons, people are into win-lose thinking. Whenever love is given on a conditional basis, when someone has to earn love, what's being communicated to them is that they are not intrinsically valuable or lovable. Value does not lie inside them. It lies outside. It's in comparison with somebody else or against some expectation. And what happens to a young mind and heart, highly vulnerable, highly dependent upon the support and emotional affirmation of the parents in the face of conditional love. The child is molded, shaped, and programmed in the win-lose mentality. If I'm better than my brother, my parents will love me more. My parents don't love me as much as they love my sister. I'm not as valuable. And you know, I would definitely want to say this to uh, parents and moms and dads, if you're listening to this sermon, I would encourage you, make sure that you never uh, uh, give this idea subtly, and you say, well, I would never say that out loud, but you might do it with your actions. You might do it the way you treat your kids. Make sure you never give your kids this thought that they have to earn your love, that, that you know, your acceptance comes with a price, and if they can't figure out how to do what you want, if they can't figure out how to make you happy, then you just can't be happy, or you can't be accepting of them. Look, this is not how God the Father treats you. In fact, God the Father accepts you as you are. He, he accepts the fact that you're a sinner. In fact, He's the one that paid for your sins. And He loves you, and He will chasten you, and He wants the best for you. But He doesn't sit there and just judge you. Look, aren't you thankful that I'm not, I'm not accepted into the Beloved based on merit? I mean, I'm thankful that God does not accept me into his family based on what I do and how I live my life. Hey, I want to live for God because God loves me. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. But I'm thankful that I don't have to sit there and and just, you know, earn the love of God. The love of God was given to us by grace. It's unmerited favor. And you know what? With your kids, you got to give them unmerited favor. You ought to teach your kids, and you ought to teach your, your, your boys and, and, and your young girls that they are, they are intrinsically valuable, that they are valuable because of who they are, because they are your child, and that makes them valuable. You know what makes me valuable as a Christian? You say, well, is it because you're the pastor of Verity Baptist Church? Is it because uh, you are, uh, uh, you know, uh, the guy that gets up there and preaches all the time? Is it because, you know, you get to preach at the Red Hot Preaching Conference, or you get to travel and do these things? You know what makes me valuable as a Christian? One thing, the fact that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I mean, you can look at me and say, oh, well, you're a pastor, therefore, that must make you valuable. You know what I am? I am a sinner saved by grace. You know what you are? You are a sinner saved by grace. You can dress it up. You can put a suit on it. You can put a tie on it. You can give it a Bible and call it a preacher and call it a pastor. But at the end of the day, you are a sinner that deserves to go to hell. And the only thing that makes me valuable 
It's the fact that God loves me. The fact that God sent the Son to die on the cross for my sin. And aside from God, there is no value to me. There is nothing I can do to earn his love. And look, we need to communicate this to our children. I'm not saying that we explain away their sins. I'm not saying that we don't uh, chastise them and correct them when, they, when, when it's needed. But what I am saying is this, that we must communicate to our children that they are loved, that they are valuable, simply because they are a son or a daughter of God and simply because they are your son and your daughter. And when we do this, look, and, and, and when we play the comparison game, when we play the competition game, what we are putting into their minds is that my value is based on my merit. My value is based on what I bring to the table. My value is based on what I produce. And we are setting them up to have a win-lose mentality. That I can only win when others lose. And when others win, I lose. You know what? We need to have a win-win mentality that says we can all win. There's enough grace of God for all of us. So he says, be kindly affection one to another and honor preferring one another. He says, we ought to, uh, uh, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than ourselves. Go to the book of Galatians, if you would. Galatians chapter number 6. And there in Philippians, if you go backwards, you go past the book of Ephesians and Galatians. I've told this story before, but I remember when, and I'm even ashamed and embarrassed to, to admit this, but I remember when, when this, this, this idea became very real in my mind. When I was in the Air Force, I was an airman, and I was stationed at Travis Air Force Base, and I had a buddy who we went to boot camp together. He went before I went, and uh, he was there uh, ahead of me as far as time is concerned. And we went to boot camp together. We went to tech school together. We ended up getting the same job. And we actually both ended up uh, getting stationed at Travis Air Force Base together. And he was ahead of me. He was, he was ahead of me several weeks in advance. And once we had been, we, we'd, been become, we'd become friends at tech school. And we went to uh, uh, Travis together. And when we were at Travis, we, we became really good friends to the point where he was already saved, but he hadn't grown up Baptist, and he started coming to our independent fundamental Baptist church, and he got baptized, and his wife got baptized at our church, and he started going soul winning. He was my soul winning partner every week, and he was three to thrive Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and we were just friends, and we worked in the same shop, and it was really nice to have someone uh, there at work that was your friend, and we're kind of going in the same direction. And every year at, uh, at Travis Air Force Base, they would, they would divide the airmen into different categories and um, have them compete against each other. And because of the fact that we were indifferent, we, we had just came in several weeks uh, apart, that actually put us into two different years of categories. And there was this, this competition, they called it below the zone, where every airman would, uh, w- would be able to compete, but they had to have a supervisor that would put them up for the award. And the superv- you had to be an airman that impressed your supervisor. Your supervisor had to write a whole thing about you and why you deserve uh, to be given this award. And then if you, if you were selected on the awards, then you would actually go 
and have to uh, do a Q&A with the base commander and a bunch of the uh, squadron commanders and a bunch of the enlisted uh, high, uh, high-ranking high officers, and you would have to walk in and do these certain salutes and certain things, and you'd sit there. Then each one of them would ask you a question, and you'd have to answer the question, and you'd be uh, given points on how you responded and how you, you know, it was this big old long process. But the reason people wanted to do it is because if you won the award, you got to skip uh, 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 you got an extra stripe early. So it, it meant that you outranked all your friends. It meant that you made more money. You know, so it was a big deal. Everybody wanted to get uh, this below the zone thing. I remember my friend, his name was Joshua Campbell. He went up for the event, and he was a smart guy. He was a sharp guy, and our supervisor gave him uh, the, the reference that he needed, and he went and did it. I remember it was a Wednesday night. My wife and I showed up to church on a Wednesday night, and... Uh, Campbell and his wife showed up. I remember he walked up to me and he said, I got it. I won BTZ. And he was really excited. And I remember I, I, I shook his hand and I said, congratulations. But you know what? Inside, my heart kind of dropped. And, and the reason that it dropped is because he was in the same squadron that I was in. And I knew that it was almost unheard of two airmen winning back-to-back from the same squadron. In fact, I, I think it's extremely rare. They, they didn't really want to do that. So in, in my mind, I thought, well, if he won this year, then there's no way I'm going to win next year. And, but I remember thinking to myself, you know, I, I shouldn't be upset that God blessed him. I shouldn't be upset. And, and if it means that he wins and I don't win, then, then that shouldn't bother me. I should be genuinely happy. And I remember I had to get my heart right, you know, and just kind of decide like, hey, this is my friend. I want him to succeed. I want him to grow. I want to prefer him above myself. I want to esteem him better than myself. And, you know, I had to work that uh, in, in my heart. And the truth is this, we've all been there. When somebody else gets a promotion, when somebody else gets a, a reward, when somebody else, you know, wins an award and it kind of, you know, bothers you and you think, I wasn't even competing against him. I, I, my competition was a year later with different airmen. But sometimes when God blesses other people, it makes us feel like if they're winning, then we're losing. So we must develop. We must develop an abundance mentality and we must develop a desire to genuinely see the best in others. Go to Galatians chapter 6, if you would. Galatians chapter number 6. Let me give you a third thought. I got to finish this up. Here's number three. You must believe. To have a win-win mentality, you must believe that God can bless you as you endeavor to bless others. You must believe that God can bless you, that you don't have to control the blessing of God. That in fact, as you endeavor to bless others, to esteem others better than yourself, to prefer one another, that as you endeavor to bless others, that God can bless you. You are. You're there in Galatians chapter 6. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says this, And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. He says, look, don't be weary in well-doing. Don't be weary in trying to help other people out and being happy for other people and, and, and esteeming others better than yourself. He says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Notice verse 10. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household 
of faith. He says, look, as you and I have opportunity to do good to others, we ought to do good to others. And we ought to especially do good to those who are of the household of faith, to those who are saved, who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's what he says. He says, look, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap what we may not. Here's what he's saying. When you genuinely want the best for others, when you bless others, when you help others, God says, you know what? You're going to reap what you've sown. And you're going to reap those blessings as well. And part of having a win-win mentality is this, that you have to believe that God can bless you as you endeavor to bless others. Let me read to you an excerpt from this uh, book here. This is a a story he told. I thought it was an interesting story. kind of gives this idea. He says this, Sometime after learning the concept of win-win or no deal, The president of a small computer software company shared with me the following experience. We had developed new software, which we sold on a five-year contract to a particular bank. The bank president was excited about it, but his people weren't really behind the decision. About a month later, that bank changed presidents. The new president came to me and said, I am uncomfortable with these software conversions. I have a mess on my hands. My people are all saying that they can't go through this, and I really feel I just can't push it at this point in time. My own company was in deep financial trouble. I knew I had every legal right to enforce the contract, but I had become convinced that the value of the principle of win-win. So I told him, we have a contract. Your bank has secured our products and our services to convert you to this program, but we understand that you're not happy about it. So what we'd like to do is give you back the contract give you back your deposit, and if you ever are looking for a software solutions in the future, come back to see us. I literally walked away from an $84,000 contract. It was close to financial suicide, but I felt that in the long run, if the principles were true, it would come back to pay dividends. Three months later, the new president called me. I'm now going to make changes in my data processing, he said, and I want to do business with you. He signed a contract for $240,000. And the point is this, when you think win-win, when you decide that I'm going to, as I have opportunity to do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith, then God says, you know what, you will reap what you've sown. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And in order to have a win-win mentality, you must believe that God can bless you as you endeavor to bless others. And you've heard me tell the story, and you know the story. In fact, go to John, if you would, John chapter number 10. If you've heard me tell the story, you know how the story goes. That a year later, I went up for BTZ and won. And a year later, I got the stripe that my friend got a stripe in. And it was interesting because what was really interesting about it is that there was a lot of commotion to the fact that two airmen had gotten the prize from the same squadron Two years in a row, it was almost unheard of. And what was really interesting is that in our shop, in our shop, all our worldly supervisors, and it was kind of said in a joking matter, but I thought it was interesting, our worldly supervisors started telling all the other airmen, saying, you see these two guys? They won BTZ two years in a row, two guys from our squadron. I don't know what they do on Saturdays, but maybe you should join them. You know, I don't know what church they're going to, but maybe you should go to their church. Because it seems like whatever they're doing is working. You know, God actually used that in our workplace as 
a way to say, hey, you know what? I'm blessing. But I wonder if I would have just sat there and got bitter and angry and just, you know, not not have been a good friend. If God would have blessed us and God would have used that uh, in our lives to think win win, you must believe that God can bless you to think win win. You must believe that God can bless you as you endeavor to bless others, because the truth is this, that God wants to give all of us. God wants to give us an abundant Christian life. John chapter 10 and verse 10, if you would, let's look at these. Uh, I'll read this verse to you quickly and we got to finish up. The Bible says this, Jesus said, the thief cometh but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I am come that ye might have life and that ye might have it more abundantly. You know that God wants you to win? But in order for you to win, that doesn't mean that everybody else around you has to lose. You know that in order for you to win in marriage, your wife doesn't have to lose or your husband doesn't have to lose. You know that in order for you to win as a parent, your kids don't have to lose. Your kids don't, you don't have to keep putting your kids down and uh, just berating them and being angry with them. Hey, they don't have to lose for you to win. Your spouse doesn't have to lose for you to win. Your coworkers don't have to lose for you to win. You can develop a win-win mentality. Ephesians 3 and verse 20, you have to turn there. The Bible says this, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. The Bible says that God can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, that God can help you and everyone around you win. But in order to think win-win, you must develop an abundance mentality. You must not have this scarcity mentality that says that in order for me to win, others must lose. You must genuinely desire the best for others. You must decide that, you know what, I want other people to do well. I want other people to succeed. And even in my heart, I'm going to bless them and pray for them and hope the best for them. And you must believe that God can bless you as you endeavor to bless others. That God has enough blessings, that God has enough power, that he's exceeding abundantly above all things, above all, that he can give us exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. We must have a win-win philosophy of life because effective people, effective people, and effective Christians, they're not only proactive, they don't only begin with the end in mind, they not only put first things first, but they also enter every relationship, every partnership, every arena of their lives, they enter saying, with the people around me, I want to win and I want them to win as well. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be able to uh, learn this principle of win-win. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord. It's so easy to fall into the comparison trap and to the competition trap. It's so easy to see you bless people around us and to think that that somehow is hurting us. And the truth is this, that you can bless whoever you want, however you want, whenever you want. And we should be okay with that. And the truth is this, that as we endeavor to see others win, as we endeavor to put others first, you can exceedingly abundantly do greater for us. And Lord, help us to have a positive mentality of life. Win-win. That others can win around us and they don't have to lose. They don't, we don't have to win at their expense and they don't have to win at our expense. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ we pray. Amen.